I've loved this series. We've spent a, a lot of time hanging out with David by, by looking at some really simple things about his life. And then we actually tie it to the Psalms. And so this morning you would have heard Pastor Trent start our service off with a, a Psalm that, that David wrote about the temple. You know, we've, we've looked at David and we've seen that what God looks at is the heart. We've seen that, that God called David to have this kingdom perspective that we need to have, that God calls us to have spiritual friendships like David had with Jonathan, that God calls us to wait upon his timing, that God has warning signs in our life. When we looked at David and Bathsheba, that there's actually warning signs, and that act wasn't just something that happened. It was something that David knew about beforehand in his life. And last week, Trent just talked to us beautifully about worship and how we rejoice. Through all of this, we've seen a guy who looks a lot like us. There's moments where we can be incredibly proud of what our life looks like and how we're following God. And then there's other moments where we look like a disaster. Today, we're looking at one of those moments in David's life, which was the big moment, the, the crowning moment, maybe. It was the construction of the temple. You could almost say this is what David was created for. The interesting piece to this story is David wouldn't be the guy that, that builds the temple. It would be his son. God told David that he didn't want him to build a, a temple for him. It reminds me of, of something that I've heard many times before, that it's actually possible to, to build something or do something for God that God doesn't even want us to do. You see a question that, that's going to appear on your screen. And it's just this question that I want you to wrestle through over the next few minutes. Do you know what makes the difference between what God wants and what he doesn't want us to do? This is going to be the, the question that's kind of the pinnacle questions for, for us this morning. David's heart desire, and it was a great desire, was to build a, a house for the Lord. But unfortunately, because David was a warrior and had shed blood for God, God would not allow him to, to finish building the temple. God wanted a peacemaker. The temple was a, a place of peace, a, ple a place of refuge. And so that was going to be Solomon, David's son. Although David would not build the temple, David realized the great importance and cast the vision for what the temple was going to be like. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to, to 1 Chronicles 29. It's okay to look at the table of contents. Find it, 1 Chronicles 29. As you're flipping there, I want to make a few statements about God's house. You know, the Lord's house, the temple, is not just a place for people to, to meet one another. It's also a place for God to meet us. That's maybe why we're, we're longing to be back in in church we want to worship we want to serve God we want to do it in the the community that we've created here at, at Renfrew it can be hard for us it can be something that we struggle to understand how can something good that God has created for us actually be something that's taken away from us 
And maybe you've just committed to this goal of, if I just survive this season, and every time you hear the news or you hear an announcement from your church, it just feels like another punch to the stomach. Well, today, as we look at the temple, I want you to broaden your understanding of the temple because there's some great principles we can pull out from it. If you have your Bibles, 1 Chronicles 29, verses 1 through 20. I'm actually going to read this, but as I read this, you're going to just see some highlights come on the screen. What I want you to do with this is I want you to, to throw yourself into the story. See what's happening around you. Then King David, verse 1, said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Great description. The task is great because this grand structure, this palatial structure, is not for man but for the Lord God. With all my resources that I've provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the word, for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. All of these in large quantities. You can see David's commitment here in verse 2. I'm bringing everything that I have. Besides, in my devotion, verse 3, of, of in, to the temple of God, I now give my personal treasures. And you have a whole list in verses 4 and 5. Look at verse 6. Then the, the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. Hold on to that. They gave toward the work of the temple. Anyone who had precious stones gave them. Verse 8. The people in verse 9 rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. For they had given freely and wholeheartedly. David the king also rejoiced, watching. Verse 10, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, God, the God of our Father, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, the majesty, the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Wealth. And honor come from you. You are the ruler. Verse 13, now our God, we give you thanks. And praise your glorious name. And look at verse 14, but who am I? Who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. We have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers. Verse 15, in your sight, our days on earth are like a shadow. Look at verse 16. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for you in building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. It all belongs to you. Verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart. He's speaking from personal experience. You're pleased with integrity. All these things have willingly been given and with honest intent. I've now seen with joy how willing your people who are here have given to you. Verse 19, and give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build 
this great structure, this palatial structure for which I have provided. Verse 20, David then says to the whole assembly, can you see David? Praise be to the Lord our God. So they praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down. They laid themselves prostrate before the Lord and the King. All right, so we have a, a timer here. It tells me we have 12 minutes. So here, here's where we're headed. Here we go. I'm going to give you some simple things. The very first one. When we do something for God, we must give our best. When we, when we decide to do something for God, we must give our best. That's why it's so hard in this season. We feel like we've got nothing, let alone our best. If you looked back at verses 1 and 2, you'd see this description of David giving everything that he has. Instead, a lot of times we choose to give God our seconds. It's something that we like to refer to in our house. It's always the path of least resistance. Throughout the pages of Scripture, you see this theme repeated. God calling us into giving something that's beyond what we could ever imagine or dream. Malachi 1, 6 through 8 says this, A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me? It is you, priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how? How have we done this? By offering defiled food, seconds, thirds, fourths. But you ask, how have we defiled this? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or deceased, uh, diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to someone else. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Even in the midst of this season, COVID-19 that we find ourselves in, are you giving God your best? What has God called you to and you're still holding on to? You see, the, the, the first thing, we need to bring our best to God. The second thing, when we do something for God, you have to give personally. Back at verses 3 through 5, David's proclaiming all the things that he's given to God. Not in a way to brag, but to call people to respond. It costs David something. It has to cost us something. You see, it's really easy for us. We want others to give. Yet we exclude ourselves from the sacrifice. It doesn't cost us anything until we give something. Some of you will be offended when I say this to you. For some of you, this is a financially hard time for you. I want to challenge you to test God in this. I want you to keep giving. To keep sacrificing until it forces you to trust God. God had to give us his son. It cost him everything. The most precious. What does it cost you? David was the starter for the gifts of the temple. Your sacrifice is always contagious. Especially in your family. The, the third thing, when we do something for God... This is something I find myself in. We have to give willingly and wholeheartedly. We have to give willingly and wholeheartedly. 
Look back at at verses 5 through 9. Do you see the words that David is using? I love what he says in verse 9. The people, the people who are watching rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. Reminds me of something we read in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7, that says this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give not what you have just simply decided to give. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. I love this screen that uh, is going to come up. Waldo Weening said this, there's three ways to give. You have to give, that's the law. You ought to. That's the obligation, or you want to, that's grace. We live under grace. We want to be people who want to. The Lord is more concerned with why we give than how much we give. With why we serve than what is the end result of our service. You have to have the right heart attitude. We don't give or we don't serve because we want praise from others. We give because we love God and we want to see his name honored and glorified and expanded. God's free gift to us should motivate us and guide our giving to others. You may have heard this word used in church, these words used in church a lot, our time, our talents, our treasures. Guess what? In the midst of this pandemic, you still need to give your time, your talent, and your treasures. This isn't a break for us. The, the fourth thing, when we do something for God, you have to give generously. That's 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He who sows sparingly also is going to reap sparingly. He who sows, in another translation, bountifully shall also reap bountifully. I need to keep asking myself this, Matt, what kind of giver are you? Are you simply a a giver who evaluates what the return will be? Or are you a giver who just gives with arms and hands wide open? Hudson Taylor said this, When God's work is done, in God's way, for God's glory, it will never lack God's supply. And then the fifth one, the final one, when we do something for God, guess what? It means you give continually. Look back at verse 18 of 1 Chronicles 29. Lord, the God of our fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. For some of us, even in this season, you find yourself doing this. I've been there. I've done that. I've done my time. My work is done. It's time for others to do the work now. That doesn't fall in God's economy. Anything less than a full commitment to God is short of what God expects from us. Well, those were great points, Matt. Five of them, wow, you whipped through them fast. But let me try to make this simple for you at the end. I want to give you... Three concepts that God's been working in my heart this week. 
And it has to do with David. And you're going to see them on your screen and I'll explain them to you. When you walk intimately with God, when you're a man after God's own heart, you want, and I'd probably change that word today to, you're compelled to do things for God. You see, David wanted to build a temple for God. For several years, the, the ark of God had been housed in this tent that was portable. It was this structure called the tabernacle. All the sacrifices that were offered up for generations were in this courtyard of this temporary structure. David, a man after God's own heart, wanted to change that. He went, my God deserves better than just a simple tent. And he basically asked God permission to build this permanent house of worship to, to God. In fact, David was so committed to this project that he accumulated many of the building materials and stored them away during his reign. For you that are at Renfrew Baptist Church and you call this place your home, you know we've started to talk about renovating our building. We want to build a, a beautiful structure in which we can sing and pray. And those things are good, but more importantly, we want to impact our community. We want this building not only to be functional, but also worthy of the God we love. We want to build something that actually builds upon the legacy that is so rich here. Now in time, we're going to get that structure. It's going to be God's time. But when you walk intimately with God, you want to do things for God. The, the second one, and that, the first one's positive. The second one's not so positive. It's possible to do things that God doesn't want us to do. David asked permission to build a temple for God, and what did God say to him? No. God told David, David, I don't want a fancy building. In Isaiah 66, verse 1, God said this, Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? God doesn't need a building. And he tells David, You're not going to build me this one. But wait, if God didn't need a temple, how come the Lord told David that his son Solomon would build a temple for him? In 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 and 13, God tells David, When your days are over and you go rest with your fathers, I'm going to raise up an offspring who will succeed you, who will come from your own body. I will establish his, his kingdom. Then it says this, He will, is the one who will build a house for my name. So God's not against having a temple built. It's just that David isn't going to get to build it. Well, if you look back in David's history, which we've spent the last few months talking about, in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 7 and 8, God tells David that he can't do it. Verse 7 says, My son, I had it in my heart that I wanted to build a temple for the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. David, you've shed much blood. You fought many wars, David. You are not going to build a house for my name. Because you've shed so much blood on the earth in my sight. Now, that's not David at fault. The wars that he fought in, the conflicts that he engaged in, he did it for God. So why wouldn't, let, why wouldn't God let David build his temple? Because God wanted the temple to be associated with 
peace, not war. David, a man after God's own heart, a, a man that went to war on God's behalf, was not allowed to build the temple. That just doesn't seem to make sense. Until you realize this, and you're going to see this as the third point. God is far more concerned with how we build something than what we build. How we build something is more important than what we build. We're translated away from building. How we do something is more important than what we do. God's not looking for impressive church structures. God doesn't build his church with lumber and stone. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it's declared, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Peter said this in 1 Peter 2.5, You and I are like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a priesthood, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here, here's the questions I want you to wrestle through this week. When God looks at us, he's going to ask us some simple questions. Matt, how much have you prayed for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Matt, how hard have you tried to promote peace and love and joy in your church? Matt, how kind were you to others in church who might not be easy to love? Matt, how did you speak about those people when they weren't around? And did you take opportunities to build them up and help them out? In the midst of this pandemic, God is looking at us and saying, how are you actually expanding my kingdom here on earth? Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder from David's life once again, how he was a man after your own heart. How he listened, gave the plans to his son, his son's kingdom, was raised up, he was able to build the, the place that you would be housed in, the place that you would be proud of. God, help us not get sidetracked in this season simply by going, this isn't the church, we can't meet. I'm not able to, to do what I used to do. May we find new and innovative and creative ways to expand your kingdom here on earth. You're a great God. We wait with great expectation to see what is ahead. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Let me pray for you as we end this service. May the Lord keep you and bless you and may his face shine upon you. And may you discover a new way this week of the power that God has for you. May you listen intently to that small still voice. And may God use you in huge ways to expand his kingdom. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.